seated. It's my absolute joy to introduce uh, Andrew. Andrew Udall-Smith is going to come and share today's reflection. Good morning, everyone. Um, We're in a series called Voices of the Cross, and today we're thinking about the Roman centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion, as we've just heard. And the subject is revelation. God speaking to us and revealing more of himself to us. And as we've just heard, we've joined Matthew's Gospel at a very sombre moment. The Son of God is being put to death in a quite barbaric and very public way. And to make matters even worse, the leaders of God's chosen people who are the ones who put him on the cross, are taunting him, challenging him about his claim to be the Son of God. Much earlier in his ministry, Jesus had characterised these leaders in this way. He said, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you're missing the wood for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right in front of you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. Now, I think we find ourselves naturally agreeing with Jesus' view of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but I want to just sort of suggest we should be careful that in our own lives we don't fall into the same trap. After all, there are some Christians who have their heads in the Bible, and yet they treat it as a dry and academic book, very interesting to study, in an ivory tower kind of way. But when they read the Bible, does it affect their lives? Does it make a difference to their lives? Do they hear Jesus speak to them? Remember what Jesus said in that famous passage in John chapter 10 about him being the good shepherd. He said, my sheep recognise my voice. I call them by name and lead them out. They follow because they are familiar with my voice. And then later he adds, I have other sheep too. That's us, the Gentiles. I need to gather and bring them too. They will also recognise my voice. Then it will be one flock, one shepherd. So I think it's very easy to malign the Pharisees, but do we recognise Jesus' voice when he speaks into our lives today? Are we willing to receive his offer of life? Now please don't think I'm standing here pointing the finger at anyone other than myself when I say that. Um, I kind of know this firsthand because I spent about 15 years of my life not listening to Jesus speak. Even though I was reading the Bible regularly, I was attending all the right services, I was giving faithfully to the church that we were members of. Despite those outward appearances, on the inside it felt like I was dying spiritually. It wasn't always like that for me. I, I suppose looking back, and I'm a mathematician so I like to divide things up. I can divide my life up into roughly 15-year periods. Sadly, I'm getting quite close to the end of the fourth one of those. The first 15 years, I was a a mainly happy child, but there was no spiritual dimension to my life. When I was 15, I heard the good news. I invited Jesus into my life and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was enthusiastic and passionate about following Jesus. And at that time, I heard him speak words of truth, encouragement, challenge and guidance into my life. 
So the second 15 years was a really good one. But sadly, the next 15 years, when I was roughly aged 30 to 45, was not more of the same. That was the time I just described when my life was busy and cluttered with work and family responsibilities. And outwardly things, hmm, they still look pretty fine. But inwardly, I was not listening to Jesus. I was shutting down my heart and dying spiritually. But that's where there's good news in this story, because the religious leaders may have missed who Jesus is, but God chose to reveal Jesus' identity to a Roman centurion, a pagan with no knowledge, as far as we're aware, or background of Yahweh or the scriptures. He wasn't an educated man. I guess he was used to following orders and to giving orders. And I'm sure he knew how to organise a very successful crucifixion. We we don't know what it was that caused the centurion to suddenly exclaim, surely he was the son of God. It could have been the darkness, the earthquake, or something about the way Jesus died. Most likely it was a combination of all of those and more, because this was a man who'd seen many crucifixions, and yet something about Jesus' death was different. God spoke powerfully to the centurion through it. And the good news for me was that when I was uh, 46, God spoke to me, even little old me, in a very direct way through a specific answer to a question that I had thrown at him, more in desperation, if I'm honest, than in any hope he would actually answer me. But to my surprise, God did answer. He spoke in a voice. Now, I suspect it was a voice inside my head, but it was such for me at the time, such a real and so clear a voice, and so clearly not my own voice or my own mind, that I actually turned around to see who had spoken to me, and there was no one there. It happened, I think, because I asked, or rather demanded, an answer of God. So, moving on to think a bit more about revelation. When, I, when we think about revelation from God, I think it's helpful to compare and contrast what, um, this with what we would, I guess, normally called wisdom. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, this is in chapter 1, verse 17 of his letter, says, we pray, is that God will give them a spirit of both wisdom and revelation so that they will know God better. So as followers of Jesus, of course we should pursue wisdom, yes. But we mustn't neglect the revelation part. We need a balance between the two. Um, I think some people think that revelation only comes from the Bible. God has spoken through the Bible, that's it, that's the sum of his revelation. Of course, God speaks through the Bible. The Bible is, it's foundational, isn't it? It's bedrock for us. We need the Holy Spirit if it's become a living word, something that changes our lives rather than being an academic ivory tower sort of book. But the Bible isn't the only way God speaks to his followers. For one thing, the Bible itself is full of stories about God revealing himself to people in a myriad of different ways. Um, Jacob, while sleeping, has a vision of a stairway to heaven. And then later in his life, he physically wrestles with God and gets his new name, Israel, which means God wrestler. Deborah, as a judge and a prophet of Israel, hears God's voice, hears God's voice and guides the Israelites into the battle in which they overthrow the oppression of the king of Canaan. Gideon is a frightened little man hiding in a winepress when an angel turns up and addresses him as mighty warrior. I think this would have been a bit of a shock for him. Later, just when Gideon's about to go into battle with 32,000 men, God tells him to send most of them home. God says he'll enable Gideon to win the battle with just 300 men. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's quite amazing that Gideon 
did what God said. Amazingly, Gideon chooses to believe him and God comes through. So I guess you'll notice that revelation sometimes will go against what we might call wisdom. In the New Testament, Saul, the arch-Pharisee who's been persecuting all the followers of Jesus, meets the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and has his whole life turned upside down. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Andrew, you've picked on some examples here, but these are all exceptional people. You're talking about Jacob and Deborah and Gideon and Saul. That's why they have such a direct revelation from God. They're not like you and me. Well, I beg to disagree. First, the Bible is a book of examples. It's not a book of exceptions. That's why it's such a good handbook for our lives. Secondly, the Roman centurion wasn't anyone special, but he received a revelation from God of who Jesus is. And finally, Saul, soon to be Paul, yes, he was a very special Christian, but he wouldn't even have begun his apostolic career if a person rather like you or me hadn't played their part. So Ananias was just an ordinary follower of Jesus in Damascus. Whilst praying, Jesus asked him, go to Straight Street, find this man called Saul, pray for him and restore his sight. And if you read the um, story in Acts chapter 9, you'll see that Ananias was not at all sure that this was a good idea. He had a conversational intimacy with Jesus. He listened and then he pushed back because after all he'd heard what Saul was coming to do in Damascus. But Jesus explained to Ananias, no, Saul has changed. And Ananias obeyed and went. From the perspective of wisdom, he was still taking what seemed like a really big risk going to visit Saul. So I guess, I guess that my point is that I think revelation is for all of us, the special ones, but also the ordinary ones like you and me. Um, Ananias had a conversational intimacy with Jesus that I think we need to cultivate in our own lives if we're to be able to tune into God speaking and receive his revelation. And we, need, we badly need revelation, I badly need revelation from God in the big things and in the small things. Although, in my experience, if we're trying, if we're, if we're trying to learn to hear God's voice, it's often best to start with the small things, the things that aren't so precious, so major in our lives. So how does it work? Well, it, it kind of works in a myriad of different ways. Um, it's always, I think revelation is almost always very personal. God will speak in a way to you that touches your heart, that gets through to you, and it will be completely different from the way he speaks to me. I mean, he speaks through the Bible, yes, of course, but also through dreams, although I'll be honest, I've never had a dream from God. Creation, beauty, the words of a friend, the music we're listening to, or, or in my case, often films, films I'm watching. But I think we have to be alert. This is the thing I have to, have to say to myself. We have to be alert and expecting God to speak, otherwise we'll probably miss it. Sometimes you'll get the same message in different ways, which is really helpful confirmation. For me, I often sense God saying something when I'm outside in creation. It's just something about being outdoors and walking or whatever it is. And then he'll confirm it through something I read in his word. And that's really helpful and really powerful because then I really know it's from God. When the creator, I suppose I want to say this, when the creator of the universe speaks to you, as he did to me when I was age 46 in a very clear way, and you know it, it's so powerful. The best thing about the last 12 years of my life is that I've started to learn to listen to God's voice again and develop a conversational intimacy with him. I'm not saying I've arrived, I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but it's definitely worth doing. It's made such a difference. It doesn't mean you have an easy life. It doesn't mean that everything is suddenly crystal clear. 
but it will be a much richer life than the alternative. Um, in the last 12 years, under God's prompting, I've given up my job of 25 years, started a small business, sold the family home, bought one in the Highlands of Scotland, battled some unexpected health issues that lingered a lot longer than they should have done, sold the business, and so on. And some of those, some of those decisions and some of those actions have definitely gone against wisdom, and I'm an actuary, and I... I like to analyse everything, including the risks, and I have been involved in things which have definitely gone against wisdom and involved a lot of risk, but I'm confident that God's been with me. So what about our Roman centurion? Where do we think he went from here? I've often wondered that. I think if you saw a man die and had a revelation from God that he was the son of God, you would have followed very closely what happens next. So I think the centurion would have heard all the talk about Jesus' resurrection, he would have seen the Jerusalem authorities try to suppress it. And also he would have witnessed the birth of the fledgling church. When he retired some years later, he probably would have been pensioned off to a Roman colony, somewhere like Philippi, because they didn't want Roman soldiers in and around Rome. Um, I like to think that there, in that Roman colony, he would have become a Christian and joined the local church. And if you look at all the people Paul names in his letters, many have Roman names, and it's quite possible that our centurion was amongst them. Now finally, a bit of homework. If you've never watched the film Risen, then I would encourage you to get hold of a copy and watch it in the run-up to Easter. It's not about our centurion, but it's about another Roman soldier, the leader of the Roman garrison in Jerusalem who reports into Pontius Pilate. And what happens when he sets about investigating the events of the resurrection, actually for Pontius Pilate. It's fiction, of course, or at least... The involvement of this Roman commander is fictional, but all the events it describes about Jesus' resurrection and his disciples are taken directly from the Gospels on the start of Acts. And I think it's a really helpful, um, it's really helpful in getting us to think about what it was like for Jesus' followers in the weeks after his resurrection. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. It's a really helpful thing to think about. I've seen the film.